from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider here on Business Radio. We are powered by the Wharton School, and we are on Sirius XM Channel 111. Hey, if it's Thursday at noon Eastern time, we are live and taking your calls right now. 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. If you've always wanted to ask a question, now is the time to call. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA for Executives program right here in sunny Philadelphia. I'm a licensed psychologist and also former corporate recruiter, and we are here today with Michelle Stucker, and we have Danielle standing in for Dion. And you know, Danielle, I'm coming to you for the pre-break quiz, so. I do. I'm ready. (laughs) Sitting in for Dion means answering the pre-break quiz first so and not answering pants <laughs> yeah it's not pants and it's not a fern this we know never again so hey if you're not yet following me on twitter at dr don graham we'd love to hear your questions there as well and don't forget we are taking our calls all hour at 844 wharton that's 844-942-7866 we have an awesome show today and i'm so excited to have in studio dr jody foster who is the vice chair for clinical operations at department of psychiatry at penn medicine and the university of pennsylvania Health system. Jody is a psychiatrist and also a graduate of what I believe is the hardest program at Wharton, which is the executive MBA program. And she focused in finance. She is also the author of The Schmuck in My Office How to Deal Effectively with Difficult People at Work. And we are so excited to talk about this topic today, along with many others. Thank you so much for joining us, Jody. Thank you for having me. Welcome to Career Talk. So yeah, so I do believe that the the EMBA program here is the hardest. Cool. And, and I mean, that's good to know. Yeah, now that it's over. Yeah, now that you're done. Yeah. yeah. I mean, okay, you went to medical school. That's probably pretty hard too. Yeah, you know the the EMBA program was a lot more challenging than I expected. It Inter- to yeah, because you're Absolutely. working full time. Yeah. You're taking a full time course load. Right. In addition, you're trying to have a life. You right. know, maybe occasionally work out or shower. I mean, exactly. yeah, it takes, it takes a lot of time. Yep. So I'm so excited. Um, I love your book, The Schmuck in My Office, and I'm so excited to have an advanced uncorrected proof, <laughs> which I know you want to replace. Yeah, but, I do. <laughs> but I love having that. Because here's the thing, we all work in places where there is, let's face it, a schmuck. In some of the cases, it might be us. Absolutely. So so tell us how you came up with that title. Uh, so the title was handed to me by just about everybody who's ever called me. <laughs> <laughs> Jody, I have rings, this schmuck. I have a schmuck in my office. I have a jerk in my department. Help me make it better. So, okay. So in your book, you go into a lot of different types of of schmucks. Um, But here's the thing that I want to really focus on today because, you know, every office is going to have that person. So, yeah. So there's, there's two things you can do as a job seeker. So one is understand what kind of culture... You're, and, right. and is going to fit best with you, what kind of personalities you work best with, um, even before you apply or accept a job. Right. And then once you're in there, because every office, you know, has those those strange individuals, how to deal effectively if they're going to be somebody you have to partner with in your job. So right. I want to talk about all of that today. Um, and I know you have lots of fun stories. <laughs> so, hey, if you've got a question, maybe you have a schmuck in your office and you're like, oh, I have to work with this person. Please help me, Jody. Um, we want to hear from you. 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So let's start with just defining like, okay, culture. It's such a, it's, it's such a word that's thrown around and, you know, what kind of culture do I want to work in? You know, what does that even mean? I mean, I guess I would understand it as the personality of the workplace. Um, and, you know, in your list of things to think about as you're looking into new jobs, the better you know yourself, the better you're going to do. So if, if, if you've really taken the time to figure out the kind of personality traits that you're bringing to the table, you're going to be so much better suited to determine where you're best placed. Yeah, and I think a lot of people get drawn in by, like, the Googles and, like, you know, yeah. oh, because it, we hear it's a great culture. We, it seems like a great culture because there's, there's pinball machines in the lunchroom or whatever. But, I mean, what people don't understand is that the reason they serve Thanksgiving dinner at Google is because you're working on right. Thanksgiving. And that's, you know, so, I mean, there's there's 
kind of that stuff that's sensationalized, but you're not realizing that you're, you know, they have pinball machines and sleep pods and all these things because you're there 24 right, seven. Right. And that, that, that is a different type of situation than a nine to five job. Absolutely. So, um, okay. So it is a collection of personalities. This is what, what the culture of an organization is. So how, you know, where do you start when you're thinking what environment is going to suit me? Well, like I said, I mean, the better you know yourself and your likes and dislikes, the better you're going to be able uh, to make choices. So, like, you take the newer office environment where it's kind of uh, office without walls and um, free movement, and a lot of people are really uncomfortable with that. Open environment. Yeah. Yes. And, um, As an introvert, I am very uncomfortable with exactly. that. Exactly. And so you might know going in that that's not going to be something for you. I actually recommend, um, and this is what I did when I was deciding what kind of doctor I wanted to become, I just like listed out how I wanted my days to look, you know, again, as a physician, was I going to become a surgeon or was I going to become a psychiatrist or something else? Did I want to stand all day? Did I want to round and talk about things all day or did I want to get the job done and keep moving? I mean, the more you know about what you're going into, the field you're going into and how the day is going to go, because at the end of, you know, at the end of it all, a career is a collection of these days. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have to really be able to predict what is going to keep it interesting for you. So, yeah. So step one, you figure out what you want to do and you figure out maybe the industry. So and then you say, OK, within that, mm-hmm. within that that realm, what type of environment do I want to work in? So you, you've already mentioned some some people like working from home or some people right. think it'd be great to work from home. Because like, oh, I can right. do my laundry while I'm on a conference call and this right. and that. But then like, you're like, oh, my God, I'm so lonely. Right. Some <laughs> people love a lot of structure in their day and some people absolutely can't stand structure. So, you know, and I, I when I'm giving talks, I usually reference, you know, the decision I was making when I was deciding what kind of school to send my son to. Do I send him to a Quaker school? Do I send him to a military school? They're very two very different cultures. And, you know, each one is perfectly legitimate. But which culture is the one that I want to develop in my kid? Mm-hmm. And it's these kinds of questions over and over and over again when you're deciding where to place yourself in your life and in your career. So we are going to go to Evan in New York. Evan, welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today? Hey, I just wanted to comment on this idea of corporate culture. Yeah. Um, I've been in management in the solar industry. We'll call it the solar coaster. And solar uh, my coaster. last big company I worked for had a, quote, great culture. I mean, Barefoot in the workplace, frisbees are flying, beer in the cubicle during the day. You said workplace, right, Evan? (laughs) (laughs) So, you you know, you think that's a fantastic culture. The problem is that company could not hire fast enough in good times and could not fire fast enough in the slightest downturn in the market, which there were several. So, so you did you join this company, Evan, for that, that barefoot, frisbee flying, beer partying culture? Not at all. Um, I'm not at all. In fact, and my point here is that give me a company that has a responsible management team and has some clue as to sustainability, because at the end of the day, all that frisbee flying and beer drinking doesn't do you a darn bit of good when you're out on your keister after six months, because the company just does not have know how to manage the ups and downs in the market. Yeah, Evan, I think you make a great point. Something we were talking about a few minutes ago is that, you know, people get drawn in by this Google-esque culture and not to pick on Google, um, but there are a lot of these startups that have this, hey, come here, you don't have to wear shoes, you might get hit in the head with a Frisbee, but it's all cool because we have great medical benefits and and everything. So, um, (laughs) but then you get there and you're like, okay, my boss is absent or I don't know what I'm supposed to do or you know, all of these things going on. So, And again, in the world of making your own decisions. So part of what you're saying is give me a more stable company. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm attracted to the to the newness of, of a startup. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'd really like some stability. So, yeah, I totally agree with you, Evan. I think you have to look at what works for you. And for some people, you know, maybe they like that environment. But for you, that's not going to work. And I think barefoot for me wouldn't work either. I'll have to tell you, Evan, I'm a germaphobe, and I'm thinking walking around barefoot at work is not... Well, it didn't work for the 800 people they fired over the last 14 months also. So, you know, give me some sustainability. And secondly, let's try to have a humanist, fun culture. But first and foremost, let's let's have some responsible leadership. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, and and I think that's one of the things that that Jody, um, that kind of you're talking about too, is like you know figure out what you want. And right. yeah, that sounds great, but that sounds great for like a picnic on the weekend to me. Right. It doesn't sound like the type of work environment that that I necessarily want to be in. Um, 
So, how, so you talk about getting to know yourself, but then how? I mean, just thinking about Evan going in and interviewing at this company. I mean, I'm sure there were frisbees flying in his right. head, and he's thinking, "What is this?" Go. I mean, how do you start to understand what the culture is like before you even get there? Yeah, I mean, you know, you you take cues from your environment. It's usually um, not that blatant, I it's would guess. Not <laughs> that blatant, but I mean, you know, a, a, a great example. I, I, I'm sorry to keep deferring to medicine, but a great example in in medicine is. You know, uh, certain types of surgeries, for example, seem incredibly exciting when you're doing it for the first time, um, like uh, cardiac surgery. You know, it's very exciting. You crack, you know, you crack a chest and you separate the ribs and it's, you know, this incredible thing. Okay, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I haven't eaten lunch yet. I don't think I'm going to be eating know, lunch. <laughs> but but if, you're, if you look at it and you're forward thinking, there's not, you know, a tremendous amount of, of innovation or, or tech in that field. And again... Thinking 20, 30 years later, the same operation over and over and over again, the same, you know, it's like eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich every single day, it can get tired. Mm -hmm. So in the world of knowing yourself, it's not just knowing your personality, it's knowing what's going to stay fresh for you over time. Mm -hmm. Yep. And and Evan, um, thank you for giving us a call on Career Talk, because I think you bring up this good point. Part of me wonders if some of these cultures that they put forth, like the frisbee throwing, beer flinging... Um, <laughs> like, don't you want a beer keg right toss. now? Yeah, <laughs> keg toss. Um, are just a cover for maybe an organization that doesn't have their stuff together. I don't know, not necessarily, but it sounds like in Evan's case that was a thing. Like, come join us, we're really fun, but right. we, you know, look at the books and we we don't have anything. Right. It's also sort of predetermining that a lack of structure is going to be the most fertile ground for creativity. And again, if you know yourself and how you function well, you will be able to say, no, you know, actually, I really do best in in a in a dark corner by myself for a few hours. Mm -hmm. Hey, if you've got a comment on culture and um, what it means to you, or if you've been in a bad culture, one you thought was great, but turned out to to kind of go the road that Evan just talked about, we'd love to hear from you, 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. You're listening to Career Talk, and we are here with Dr. Jody Foster, who is a psychiatrist and MBA who is taking all of these ideas of, of you know, different personalities and bringing them into the workplace. We're using that today to talk about culture and how do you end up in a culture, at the end of the day, Jody, is how do you end up in a culture where you can be most productive? Right. And and for each person, that's going to be different. Like you were talking about, is it, you know, a military culture is very different, for example, from a corporate culture where in a military culture, you're, you're kind of given your orders, your, your, you know, there's very regimented structure in it. And that might work great for some people, but other people may say, no, I need the autonomy. Absolutely. So some, some people have real trouble with authority. Some people mm-hmm. have real trouble with feeling like their ability to be creative is squelched. And, th- you know, that has to be taken into consideration when you're deciding where to place yourself. Okay, so let's talk about how you dig into into culture when you're looking at organizations to apply to. I mean, what are yes, when you walk into the interview, I'm sure there, there's things you can look around and see. But like, you know, what are some of those specifics, Jody? Right. Well, I mean, I think that that uh, an interview is a is a really difficult spot. You can ask questions, but you're getting the opinion of the person interviewing you. Now, if you're getting a series of interviews and everybody's saying the exact same thing, that's very helpful. But you know, just as I would suggest in in the book, in terms of individual personality, that we look at ourselves and what you know our traits are. I think, and 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 that before we get angry at someone for acting in a way that we don't particularly like, I, I ask people to step back, take a look, and take the whole picture in. And I think that that's you know exactly the same in terms of the workplace. So if you go into a place and it's all cubicles in the middle of the room and no windows. That's a piece of information. And if you go into another place, and as we just said before, it's all Frisbee throwing and beer drinking, that's another statement. And so uh, part of the key is just looking around you um, when you're in there. But as much information as you can get in terms of learning about the company from what they say their own mission is, what their published materials are, getting information from people who have worked there, speaking to people um, you know, in, in, in more informal ways, as much information as you can get about something, the better informed you're going to be. Mm-hmm. And I do think people kind of put culture down lower on the list. And, you know, I get it. You want to be at a place that uses your skills. Right. You want to be at a place where, um, you know, it's, maybe it's a good brand name. These things are important to you. And you think, well, I can I can flex with the culture. I mean, right. can you really flex with the culture, Jody? I mean, it really depends on the eye, uh, the prize you have your eye on. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you may say, I'm going to work at this place, even though so many aspects of what it is and how it is are, are not 
right for me, but I'm going to grit my teeth and bear it because I want this on, I want this, you know, brand on my resume. I want, and so it's always a a balance, you know, what's the most important to you. Mm -hmm. And if it's pretty clear to you that there are things that you don't particularly like, but you can tolerate because the, the larger issue is that you want something else, well, then great. So yeah, you can definitely flex your yourself for a, a short amount of time. It's kind of like values. You can definitely, like when you're going to school, you're going to school, you're working full time and you're thinking, well, yeah, I'd like to work out or I'd like to do these things or go right. to the opera, but I know for these two years, I'm going to have to curtail that. Right. Exactly. But it's a finite amount of time. You right. cannot do it forever. Otherwise you get burned out and go psycho like some of the people right. in your book. Well, some of the people <laughs> that I see in consultation are people who really are unhappy where they are, but they are so tied up in the credential of where they are that they feel that they can't move because it it would be in some way devastating. And sometimes all I have to do is kind of get them to the point of seeing that being happy where they work is going to make them more productive, more able. And I got to tell you, um, it's the people who I've often helped leave an organization that are the ones that call back five six, seven years later and keep thanking me. Mm-hmm. So I've got a couple of questions that I like to ask in, in an interview about, you know, kind of getting to know the culture. And hey, if you're listening, we're taking our calls at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. If you have some great questions that you asked during an interview to find out about the company culture, maybe you're a recruiter or hiring manager, and you've heard some great questions that you think would help listeners, we would love to hear them at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. Or you can tweet at Dr. Don Graham. So a couple of the ones that I really like is, uh, uh, or are I should say let's let's talk properly here um may I speak with a few of your veteran employees and new hires and and I mean this is kind of basic you would think in an interview you'd be meeting some of these people but it doesn't always happen enough I had I've had candidates who said they've asked that question or told no yeah and I'm like wow so this is a team you're going to be working with and I mean that right there is a red flag Yeah, I mean, but think about it on the other side. You're seeing somebody for the first time and you're setting them up for your kind of screening interview. And then they say, they say, well, let me speak to your veterans. And they might say, no, I don't even know if I want you at this company yet. So there's, you know, the timing. Yeah, there's always two sides to to that. But But, of course, at the end of the day, being able to speak to as many people as possible mm -hmm. with as many perspectives is absolutely going to be helpful. And it all goes into gathering as much information as you can. Yeah, not to mention if you're networking in you would know some people who work there. Right. <laughs> Get that insider um, information. So this this one I've heard before, but I like, if you're going to give public tours of the company, what stops would you make hmm. You know, on the, on the tour? That's kind of interesting. Obviously, that applies to certain environments, maybe mm-hmm. over others. Right. Um, you know, what's what's one thing you could change about the company if you could? Mm. I, I like that's that one, question. too. Yeah, and that's a really good question. That's dependent on person. Right. I mean, but I think you're going to find out a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that um, good questions are really important, but even just the asking of questions and, and um, uh, developing questions that are important to you to get the information that you need all really important. So we were talking about walking around the office and just paying attention. You know, do people have you know birthday signs on their desk? Mm-hmm. That looks like you know they right. celebrate. Are they having a you know a celebration in the kitchen? Do people eat in the kitchen? Are people eating at their desks? Are is they it, wearing suits? Are they wearing jeans? Mm-hmm. Is it is it you know do you drive by at seven p.m. and the parking lot's right. full? Is it empty? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things you could do. Right. I like this question too, though. You know what um, what is one thing that I can learn uh, or that you can tell me about your office that I can't learn from walking around? also another great question. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there are some great questions and people should not be afraid to ask because this is a a two-way street here. This is, you're you're working for this company and if you're happy, if you're motivated, if this is a fit for you and it goes back to that word fit, it's going to be better for both sides. Right. And if you make the decision impulsively and haven't asked these questions and find yourself in a place that you end up not wanting to be or 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 stay, that's, you know, going to be such a problem. Yeah, let's talk about that. I want to I want to talk about that about the schmuck in my office. So you you um if you're just tuning in, we are here with Dr. Jody Foster, author of The Schmuck in My Office: How to Deal Effectively with Difficult People at Work. I'm your host Dr. Don Graham. Hey, if you'd like more great advice, you could always follow my blog dawnoncareers.com, but let's talk about 
the schmuck in my office, Jody. So this book is all about, you know, you, you get the job and maybe maybe the culture is okay, but there's that person. And it could be your boss. Mm-hmm. It could be a colleague. Mm-hmm. It could be somebody who just, you know, works down the hall that you have to walk past every time you go to the bathroom and they're always throwing stuff at you. I mean, you've had some you've got some really interesting stories in this book. And if you don't have it yet, I encourage you to pick it up because it it's you're just going to read this book and be like, oh, my God, that that is so my life. Um, so, you know, you're in this environment. You like right. your job. What do you do? I mean, and we, we know there's a lot of different types of schmuck. So maybe we pick one. Right. Well, so, I mean, you know, you're, it's it's going to be almost impossible to get through a work career without having a conflict. <laughs> you know, I, I personally have never given a talk or spoken to anybody who hasn't, you know, immediately resounded with, oh, yeah, I had that kind of problem or or something like that. So it, it's a ubiquitous issue. And it and it, it arises because anytime you two, put two people together, no matter how nice they are, mm-hmm. you have the potential for conflict. So let's talk about that. Um, like, here's an example that that person who is like always negative and kind of mumbles to themselves and like you know kind of curses at the the copier and like you know never really says anything that's audible but just you know they're like well just kind of angry all the time angry are they unhappy are they and and what are they angry at and what are they unhappy about and do you really want to even find out because do you want to even open (laughs) pandora's box don't ask just don't head down head down right Absolutely. That's that's sort of like the um, well, there's there's sort of the uh, the like Debbie Downer type of mm-hmm. that. And then there's just the kind of angry. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, right off the top of the 10 types of personalities that are elucidated in the book. I'm thinking of several right now who could fall in to various categories based just upon that description that you gave. Mm-hmm. So you have this negative person and you have to work for them. And if those of you listening, you have a specific example and you want Jody to to seek and destroy, I mean, diagnose and conquer. <laughs> that's what we're here for all hour. 844-WARTON. That's 844-942-7866. How to work better with that schmuck in your office. So that, that I mean, here's what I tend to do. I tend to avoid that person because I just, like, I don't want that that blob of negativity on me. And right. it does have this, this tendency to stick to well, you. Well, and you don't know what's driving it exactly. And you don't know whether it's an issue of that if, you you know, you're walking on eggshells because you don't want to set something off or you, or you don't want to say the wrong thing because you don't want to get them angry or more unhappy because you really don't know what's going on. You know, you, you, you really don't know the lay of the land. And so I guess my uh, best advice is when interacting with such a person is to have sort of very boundaried and discreet interactions until you get a better sense of what is driving that negativity. And when you get a better sense of, you know, what bucket that negativity is sitting in, then you'll have a little bit more information on how to otherwise strategize in terms of dealing with them. And I think I think it's kind of um, a strategy for these individuals because they recognize that you're not going to ask them a question. You're not going to ask them to do something right. because they're they're sort of repelling you. Right. And so so here they are, you know, just getting away with with doing nothing. And then that gets other people angry right. and and all this stuff. So, I mean, it's like well, and some people are, are doing that and they really don't necessarily necessarily have awareness that they're doing it. And when you ask them about it, they'll tell you that they really don't understand why people don't talk to them. Because <laughs> <laughs> you talk to yourself and, <laughs> and you sound mean and angry. So, 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 I mean, that's the thing then. Should you just bring it up? Or, you know, well, again, like, like I said, you know, when if, if if you're talking about somebody who is is mumbling angry material under his or her breath, you know, in the corners of the room, you really don't know what you're dealing with. Are you dealing with someone who might actually have major mental illness? In which case, no, I don't think you go up and say, hey, why are you talking to yourself? You know, that could be that could be a, a, a big mistake. But, you know, if it's someone who's just, you know, cursing under their breath and 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 um, well, I mean, that still falls in. But I mean, if it's somebody who's just, you know, negative and and uh, always seeing the, the negative side of things and always complaining. That'll never work. We've already tried that. Right. I don't right. know why we have to do that. Right. I mean, after ah. it, from what you're describing right now, that is something that I'd say, you know, at some point. You know, I might say, you know, everything that I bring up, you know, you tell me isn't going to work. So maybe you can help direct me towards the things that you think might work so that I know where to direct my efforts. That could be pretty disarming. And again, hopefully get a different answer out of that person. Yep. Or maybe lithium in the water. That's, that's <laughs> option number two. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We're here with Dr. Jody Foster, psychiatrist. 
Wharton MBA and the author of The Schmuck in My Office, How to Deal Effectively with Difficult People at Work. Hey, I know we all have those difficult people at work. So if you have a fun story or you're dealing with that right now, whether it be a colleague or a boss, and you want to find out how you can make this a better partnership to make your life easier at the end of the day and stop having to go home and drink that bottle of wine. We want to help you here on SiriusXM 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. But right now, we are going to go to our pre-break quiz. Quiz. There's a quiz. Okay, this one's a little bit morbid, but I know Jody can handle it, which is why I picked it. Okay. Am I being quizzed? No, you're, you're not being quizzed. Cool. You don't have to answer. Okay. Um, this is for the listeners, so, <laughs> so, yep. All right, aside from traffic accidents while commuting, falling from heights is the number one cause of death at work. What is number two? So we're not talking about traffic accidents on the way to work. We're talking um, about at work. So falling from heights is the number one cause of death at work. What is number two? If you think you know, give us a call at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. We'll be right back. You're listening to Career Talk. On Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Brand. You say you want a revolution. Well, you know, we all want to change the world. Welcome back to Career Talk, where we have fun all hour long. If it's noon on Thursday, we're taking your calls live at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. Or you can also tweet at Dr. Don Graham. We are here with Dr. Jody Foster, who is a psychiatrist, um, Wharton MBA, and the author of The Schmuck in My Office. And right before we went to break, we had a pre-break quiz question, which I'm going to repeat but not answer right now. So, um, aside from traffic accidents while commuting, falling from heights is the number one cause of death at work. What is number two? What is the number two cause of death at work? Think you know? Give us a call at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. But we are going to go to Natasha in New York. Welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind, Natasha? Hi. Um, I have a question. So I'm a director of a small company, and um, it's about four full-time employees. I have an office manager um, who is, is very resistant to any type of change. I think the issue is that I am younger and I was promoted before them and they were, or they are the oldest employee um, at their office. So any changes that I might implement during meetings, she's all like, yeah, yeah, we can do it. But I end up having to implement them all on my own. Got and it. Anytime, yeah. So anytime I ask for it to be completed, I either have to complete that myself or keep repeating myself. And it's just very difficult to make any type of real changes. Got it. So, 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 Jody. So, Natasha's issue is that she was promoted. She's um, younger than the person she was promoted, and now this person is is kind of being a little bit resistant, probably holding a little bit of a grudge against Natasha, who is now her boss. Right. Right. So how can Natasha deal with this? So this is actually something I'm incredibly familiar with. I um, graduated from school pretty early and at times was, you know, as much as 10 years younger than the people I was training. Um, so I've, I've really experienced this a lot. It's really difficult. And, um, well, first of all, um, they shouldn't be angry at you. You didn't promote yourself. You were promoted. And so they're sort of shooting the messenger a little bit. That's That's number one. But number two is that um, you're there because you deserve to be there. If you keep doing the work uh, for them, you're kind of giving them an out. And I would just suggest um, that you keep the relationship as boundaried and as sort of uh, tangibly work-related as possible. If you have asked someone who works for you to complete a task and they don't do it, well, then I think that that sounds like something that needs to be redirected from a leadership standpoint. And so I think you should stick to the boundaries of what, you know, I, I think you should forget about the age thing. I think you should forget about, you know, that this person is upset with you, uh, that you were promoted and not they, because like I said, you didn't do that. And I think you keep it, you keep it business. 
So, so um, Jody, would you recommend that Natasha actually like sit down and have kind of a performance conversation with this individual? Because it sounds like if if I mean, I'm guessing Natasha that this has been going on for a little while. So, of course, the employee now is used to the fact that she she can get she or he she can get away with things right. and doesn't have to do them. So now she's gotten used to this. Right. I would redirect it, you know, a couple of times, but I would uh, you know begin to write this down so that when you do sit down with the person, you can say, look. Uh, this is what's been going on. You're not you know, meeting my expectations in this particular area. And chances are, as soon as you sit down with them, um, this, you know, uh, there will be a, a like uh, explosion of, well, blah, 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 you're, you know, <laughs> you're so much younger. You know, I should have been, pre- you know, who knows what's going to come out. But that at least will open up a direct conversation that you can have and then Together, perhaps you can lay out the rules of engagement that are going to work for you and your working relationship together. Mm-hmm. And Natasha, I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest you you do this over lunch. Like you know, like start out with with like all right, let's kind of turn over a new leaf. Let's let's you know, let's go to lunch. Let's get out of the office if you can do that. Um, you know, sit down, have a conversation because I I feel like. One of the things you both want in finding that common ground is you both want to have a pleasant work environment. You both want to be productive. You both, you know, hopefully enjoy what you do and, and you want to be successful. So find that common ground over lunch and then talk about how can we how can we do this differently? Because I agree if with Jody, if you continue to let this behavior go on, she's going to be very happy to continue <laughs> to allow you to do all the work. I mean... Why Why wouldn't you? So good luck to you, Natasha. Thank good you for luck. giving us a call on Career Talk. This is a tough situation, and I know a lot of our listeners are dealing with this. So, hey, if you've got great tips that have worked for you and would like to share your advice, we'd love to hear from 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. And we're going to go to Melissa in California. Welcome to Career Talk, Melissa. What's on your mind today? Hi. Um, I'm ju- I just have a really quick question. I am working at an ad agency out of I just finished college, and it's my first year out of college, um, and I am trying to progress from a certain department to another department, um, and I've already had the many conversations with the heads of the department that I want to transfer into. Awesome. I just want to know what the time frame, what the appropriate time frame would be as far as putting more pressure or, you know, hinting at it again. I just don't want to be, I want to be persistent, but I also don't want to be annoying. <laughs> Right. So you've been there less than a year, Melissa? Yeah, I've been there about um, 10 months now. Well, you've done, um, first off, you've done the most important important part that a lot of people overlook is actually putting it out there that you're interested in a promotion, that, you know, here's my, you know, my idea of my career progression. You've already started that conversation. So good for you. Um, I think, too, we've been talking about culture today. And I think part of the answer to your question depends on the culture of the organization. I've worked at places that were incredibly strict, like like accounting firms, where it's like you're going to put in your time and there's a very strict way you're going to get promoted and you you know that up front um and then i've worked in places where hey somebody leaves we need somebody to do the job you've been doing a good job so you go in are you what is your your performance feedback melissa i mean what type of of feedback are you getting my i had my quarterly performance review uh, a couple months ago and they're super happy with me and my uh, my manager was basically like I think you could do anything here. It just depends on what you want to do and if you're the right fit and if they have the position available. So what is fueling um, your desire to change uh, the section that you're in? Um, I, I'm currently in business and legal affairs, um, and I would like to go into more of a producer role only because I work with the producers day, day in and day out, and I really love what they do way more than the um, admin work that I do. So when um, you have... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sure. No, I just I just feel like my my skills better better fit the so when you're that for a producer. when your boss um, had the performance eval with you and said you you know you're doing great and you can do anything was he saying you can do anything in any department or was he saying you could do anything here in my section? No, basically anything in any department. Okay, so he was sort of opening the door that you could be anywhere that you want to be. So I, I guess one of the concerns I had was that um, you could uh, conceivably reject the one department by jumping to the other. Um, and, you know, relatively new in the company, I, I don't want you stepping on any toes. So it sounds like the door was open and you've spoken to both at least the other side of it at this point. Is that correct? Correct. 
Okay. Yeah. So, Melissa, I know your question is, what is the normal time frame? And I feel like there, there again, just depends on the culture. There isn't a normal time frame, and it depends on your performance. It obviously depends on the market and the needs of the company. I think it's a great thing that your performance review went well. I think it's a great thing your your manager is so supportive and feels like you're performing well. So I think, you know, in terms of you talked about you don't want to be a pest and keep pushing. I think the next best thing you could do is sit down with your manager and say, you know, I'd love to, you know, as I go into my second year here, I'd love to create a timeline of when you think um, it would be appropriate for me to move in this direction and a a a strategy of how we're going to do that. So maybe you get some, you know, small assignments that you add to your current job that can help you learn what you need to learn. Maybe you start meeting the people in that department. But I think the more specific that plan is and the more collaborative you are with your manager on the time frame and that person can maybe hopefully introduce you to people in that new department, um, then you're both on the same page. So it's not about you being a pest it's about you guys having a plan and sticking to that plan so uh, that would be uh, our recommendations for next steps congratulations super excited your first job out of college sounds like you're nailing it um, which means you've got a great future ahead of you so melissa thank you for giving us a call on career talk hey we are taking your calls all hour at 844 wharton that's 844-942-7866 i'm your host dr don graham we're here with dr jody foster who's the author of the schmuck in my office which I have been just unable to put down. We're going to go to Mark in Indiana. Welcome to Career Talk. How can we help you today, Mark? Hi, how are you? Hi. So my question today is kind of based on, um, I'm a newly promoted supervisor. I currently work in the public safety sector of a hospital organization. And I have the least amount of time even at the company. I've only been employed by the hospital for two years, and I've already been promoted by to a supervisory status. And the majority of my staff uh, has been, or is, a lot younger than I am. I've currently, you know, because I started off as a regular officer, of course, I have friends there. How do I differentiate the distance between friendship and the business relationship? Because now there is some tension there because I was hired above people that's been there for 5, 10, 15 years, and they have not moved at all. Ooh, good question, Mark. And this happens a lot, Judy. All I mean, you, you, you get, you're friends with people, and yep. then you get you get promoted, and now they're reporting to you, or you're at a different level, or maybe you're privy to information that they're not privy and to. worst case scenario, sometimes you have to fire them. Oh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that is, I mean, super uncomfortable, because we're talking about right. culture, and, you know, one of the things that actually keeps people at an organization is having work friendships. Right. So having that kind of best friend at work or those couple of friends at work, because obviously you want to enjoy the people you work with. So now this relationship has shifted for Mark. Oh, my gosh. So what do you do, Jody? Well, so, you know, uh, the phrase it's lonely at the top uh, wasn't created by accident. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, uh, you know, I think that you can have really great relationships that are really friendly at work. But the boundary is where you have to pay your attention. You have you know now that you're in a supervisory role you have to think through the algorithm of things that could happen with these relationships like i said worst case scenario you may have to discipline your friend you may have to separate your friend from the company and you have to realize that if you're too uh, involved and the boundaries are blurry that that's going to be incredibly sticky, if not just incredibly uncomfortable for you. So you just have to reconfigure the friendships that you have with boundaries that are taking the potential eventualities under consideration. Yeah. And so, I I mean, kind of like we were talking about earlier, I feel like like, um, having that conversation, like just, you know, maybe if you you tend to hang out with some of these people outside of work, just saying, hey, like, I don't want this to get weird. You know, we're friends outside of work. What we talk about is friends in the office. You know, this is kind of how it needs to be. And just kind of get agreement. There's it's never going to be a mistake to have a direct conversation with somebody about the things that are on your mind. Yeah. And Jody, I think you put that in your book a lot. Like sometimes it just like people don't have that direct conversation. So this escalates, escalates. And by the time it gets to you, people are doing all kinds of weird and nasty and borderline dangerous things like throwing knives at people and people will spend an endless amount of time circling around a situation instead of just having that 
five-minute direct conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not even going to get into some of the other stories in your book because, again, I have not eaten lunch and I will, will not, <laughs> it will not be appetizing after some of those stories. But, yeah, Mark, congratulations on your promotion. This is a tough thing, and I know it gets even tougher when you think about social media and stuff you're posting, and, and it's become even more complex because nothing feels like it's separated anymore. Everything kind of mishmashes together. Uh, but this is a very common issue, and I think that direct conversation. And, Jody, you've brought this up a number of times, so I want to pull it out. That word boundary, um, <laughs> that that's something I've been in therapy for for years, <laughs> I'm just going to say. Like that setting those boundaries and sticking to finding, them finding is your line, so right. important. It's the sticking to them. I can set them, yep. but the sticking to them. Man, that's that's the hard part. Maybe you can give us some uh, some good insight for how to do that. Mark, thank you for giving us a call on Career Talk. Hey, if you've got an awkward situation in your office and you're not sure how to deal with it and you just want life to be better in your work environment, give us a call at 844-WARTON. That's 844-942-7866. No, but I was really serious, Jody. How do I stick with my boundaries? <laughs> well, I think you have to, whenever you set a boundary and then you um, uh, breach it, you lose your credibility. Exactly. And um, I think the best way, so um, I've, I've been lucky because for many years I ran a locked psychiatric unit where boundaries and limits were really important to keep the place um, intact. But then I really learned about boundaries when I had a kid mm-hmm. because if you set a limit with a little one and then you bend it, well, they know they've got you and you lose your credibility and your power as a mother like in milliseconds. It's the exact same thing in any relationship, in any walk of life. You know, you, you find the sandbox that it's okay to play in. And when you find that you're butting up against the wall of that sandbox, you figure out why. Is the boundary wrong? Does it need to be reconfigured? Well, that's fine. You know, reconfiguring a boundary is different than breaching a boundary. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, But, you know, the more boundary you can be in your relationships and the more clarity you can have on where relation where you start and end, where your relationships start and end, where appropriate starts and stops, you're going to have a much better go of it. Yes, and I don't have a child, but I have a cat, and I've already ruined that boundary like <laughs> 10 times over, so it's it's too late for us. But um, I, I, one of the things that I heard that really actually helps me is that it's kinder to set a boundary, because oh I think God. sometimes we think, oh, I'm being mean. Like, I'm thinking about Mark, who just called in, and these are my friends. I don't want to be mean. I like them. I want... But I think a lot of ways, people appreciate it when they know where that line is and that you're going to keep it. So I, I I constantly remind myself, it's kinder. It's kinder to keep this Well, number boundary. one, people don't want to get into these sticky situations, because mm-hmm. it, it, it breeds that discomfort that makes people not want to talk to each other in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know? So... That, that makes things really tough when you're not clear. Mm-hmm. Hey, if you're just tuning in, we're here with Dr. Jody Foster, author of The Schmuck in My Office, How to Deal Effectively with Difficult People at Work. And hey, we should probably answer our pre-break quiz because it can really save a lot of lives, I think. All right. <laughs> Aside from traffic accidents while commuting, that's off the list, falling from heights is the number one cause of death at work. What is number two? Danielle, standing in for Dion. So... I was originally going to say heart attack. Oh, you can't change um, your answer. You can't change your I answer. I can't. That was during the... Okay, I'm changing my answer. Uh. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But wh- is it possibly electrocution by people having coffee near, like, electronics <laughs> and spilling? <laughs> wow, you got really specific wow. there, Danielle. So it's not a heart attack. It's, it's much more likely to be electrocution from the coffee maker. So... <laughs> So no, so no, no. But but that is a. Uh, I, I think with the Keurig now, the most offices have that's that's harder to do. But it's a good point to remember. Do not stand in water when they're open <laughs> wires. I think that's that's a yeah, good stop, drop, and roll does not apply. No, no. P- it's a good PSA, Danielle. So um, Michelle, we're gonna go to you. That was hilarious. <laughs> that um, was pretty hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> the specifics. Now I feel like I need to get more specific. Well, it's um, a number two killer, so it can't be that specific. It's not electro- electrocution with coffee. Maybe it's electrocution with the printer. No, I'm just yeah, kidding. It's, it's um, not electrocution. There's there's no electrocution going on. <laughs> um, okay, so actually I got a text from our beloved Dion. Oh, and Dion. He, and he's not here, so I'm stealing his answer. Oh, Because uh, I think it's quite good. Forklift accidents. Okay, let, let me just... Dion, Dion, you know we love you, um, but and and the fact that Michelle's like, I'm going to take Dion's answer. It's a good answer. It's, I feel like they are pretty dangerous. It's like you haven't been here in the last two years, Michelle. <laughs> 
<laughs> to say I'm taking Dion's answer is never a good thing. No. Oh, you're right. You're right. Fern. Dion, we no. love you. We miss you. We'll see you next week. Um, Thanks, Dion. Yep. Thanks All right, for so. nothing. <laughs> That's a big X, Danielle. Yeah, just so you it's know. not pants. <laughs> it's not pants. Or All right. Fern. All right. Come on. Come on, Jody. Bring it home. I, I mean, I think it's kind of getting caught in machinery. Mangled. Getting mangled in machinery. Um, See, see, all right, Jody has the advantage of working at a hospital. Um, Different issue, but you know what? You're right. Being struck by falling objects. And the fact is, and this is important, vending machines kill four times as many people as sharks per year. And so much so that in 2001, Coke. Coca-Cola put a put a warning sign on that says, you know, shaking this machine can cause death, which is, you know, but I mean, think about it, you know, Absolutely. and that Twix bar gets yep. stuck and you you're like, your hand you're shaking it. You're or shaking you're, it. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that thing falls in you. Those things are on average 900 pounds. I just want to add yes. that forklifts can be involved in falling Material, so I could be half right at least. Okay, well, Dion could be half right. So. I'm, 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 I'm always super careful on my forklift. <laughs> I'm just I seeing often by, travel by forklift. Yeah, the number of people who interact with forklifts versus the number of people actually use a vending machine. I think I think that's kind of the probability. Now, if, if everyone used a forklift, I would guarantee you it would be the number two killer at work. Yes, because they are dangerous. So, yep. So here's here's the deal. If you're Getting something out of your vending machine, just put in another dollar. It's not worth your life. It's just not. Have Have you seen any vending machine accidents in your hospital days, Jody? I have seen um, vending machines teeter <laughs> <laughs> and look like they were going to fall on people. So I've certainly been well aware of the risk. Yes. So you know, and I've seen arms get caught as they try to shove up the oh yeah the bottom. See, that would terrify me. Yeah. Like if you're alone in a basement and you're like your you're stuck, stuck there. Was Cheeto. there a movie about that where the guy like, actually cut off his arm? I don't know. There, uh, uh, that was a mountain. He just got stuck. It wasn't a vending machine. Sorry. <laughs> close. Uh, Very close. <laughs> All right. Anyway, there's our PSA for today. All right. So let's talk about this, Judy. Um, here's the situation that I think a lot of people are in. You're you're you have that schmuck in your office, that awkward person, or that person who's who's complaining, or the drama queen, or whatever. Or you aggressive, know, the angry, gossip, whatever. And the boss does nothing. Right. So they're aware of it. Um, but maybe this person does great work and they're like, you know, we're all going to deal with with this personality because they, they have the highest sales or they're the best, you know, in, in, in your book, you had a great IT person, you know. Um, so what do you do when the boss will not do anything? Well, I guess a lot of it has to do with why is the boss not doing something? So mm-hmm. I'm aware of a uh, company where there was an incredibly aggressive, disruptive person, um, somebody who sort of prided himself on being so incredibly difficult to work with that he would chew through interns and 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 assistants you know like 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 a candy bar on a regular basis and, <laughs> out of the vending machine right out of the vending machine equally and, deadly the, the boss you choose through interns and the issue was that he and the boss had been college buddies and went way back and the boss protected him mm-hmm. for forever well then you know the boss passed away and all of a sudden this guy didn't have his protection and it was and this was a decades long career it was a matter of months before the guy became essentially non-functional at work because people now had the um sort of permission or or the the uh, bravery to say no the way you're acting isn't working for me sometimes bosses aren't intervening though because just like so many other people they're afraid to they mm-hmm. they just they want the person who's acting badly to just stop. And the problem with that is <laughs> oftentimes the person is the person who's acting badly when you when you do finally confront them with it, they're going to say, "Well, no one ever told me that was a problem." Right. No one, been, ever, no one no ever one ever said addressed that. it. No one ever, you know. And and of course some of the things seem so ridiculous like how could you not know? But if you haven't laid out the rules of engagement, if you haven't laid out again those boundaries of what is and is not acceptable behavior, the person who's acting badly who gets no feedback has no reason necessarily to know that it's a problem until someone tells them about it. So if what driving the fact that nothing's being done is that the boss is simply too risk averse to have that direct conversation, mm-hmm. then the intervention ends up being really with the boss. And so the, the 
what can happen is the employees can say this this is a problem, and the boss might you know be all empathic and say yes, yes, I know it's so difficult, but maybe to have the bravery to you know say the next thing, which is, do you think you could say something to mm-hmm. him? Do you think you could make some sort of intervention? And I think the more people and the bigger the groundswell to encourage the, the the manager or the leader to actually do something about something could end up being the impetus for him or her to take some action. Yes. Either that or you that becomes a person you send to the vending machine every day. <laughs> you know. Right. Or the forklift. <laughs> the forklift. Right. But yeah, I think this is I think this is common when somebody oh, yeah. does a good job that they leave bodies in their wake but they're like, hey, they're making my department look good. And and it is difficult. People hate conflict in terms of those difficult conversations. Plus, we've become so politically correct right. that it's like, can I really say okay something? Is it okay for me to say this If I say not? that, are they going to sue me or am I going to end right. up in HR? I mean, right. you know, so do, do you get and HR and that, involved? And, and, well, you get HR involved when you have to. I mean, I, I guess one of the, the premises of the book, because I've seen it so many times over and over and over again, is that I get presented with these complex situations and they send, and then they say, okay, well, what have you done so far? And there's radio silence on the other end of the phone. Uh, <laughs> That's what we've done, have nothing. You, have you said anything to Silence, you know, and and so for a lot of people, just the you know they they call to say again the call is I should have called you ten years ago I have the schmuck in my office etc cetera, etc cetera. and then I say okay well what you know what have you what have you done and absolutely nothing and so the first step is to kind of turn them right around and send them back out um, and to say what you're doing doesn't work here it's it's not okay here and see how that conversation goes if the person says you know. Okay, glad, you know, sorry to hear you think that way, boss, but screw you. And they keep doing it. Well, you know, as as more and more disruption occurs, then absolutely legal and HR end up getting involved. What if the person is the boss? Well, and that's certainly <laughs> and that certainly happens. And sometimes, you know, there are going to be situations where no matter, you know, what I tell you that there are situations you can't get out from under. And then you have to decide whether you want to be at that company. But that said, for a lot of people, like, it's my boss. I can't tell him or her that this isn't okay. And I disagree with that. Mm-hmm. I think that someone can be your boss and you can say, you know, uh, I'm perfectly happy to do this thing that you asked me to do, but the way that you asked me to do it really made me feel X, Y, or Z. I mean, you know, the boss may not, uh, you know, be receptive to it. He may not agree or he or she may say perfectly, you know, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do it that way. But the point is you've gotten it off your chest that's, you know, you're taking care of your own backyard there. You're taking care of your half of the relationship. And there's therapeutic benefit to that. Mm-hmm. And if the boss is, is like, well, too bad. It's my ship. Right. Well, you know, and so sometimes people say it didn't work. And then they, they say, I shouldn't have said anything. And But you know what? You'll find a lot. I think time. You have to give people time. Because even if the boss says, screw you, it's my ship. You know, I um, uh, I disagree. Chances are the next time they're about to do something like that, they're even despite themselves, they're going to remember that you said something that might change their behavior, even just one, uh, an aliquot. An and aliquot. With, and with time, now, that what, could add up. What is an aliquot? A fraction. A fraction. See? See? Wharton MBA people there right there. So In action. <laughs> In action. That's the new word of the day. Boundaries and aliquots. <laughs> um, Jody, this has been awesome. I could talk to you all day. Um, <laughs> where can people reach you? Uh, www.schmuckinmyoffice.com. Schmuck. No one had that website, huh? You got, you got, you <laughs> I somehow my, got it. Schmuck. Schmuck being S-C-H-M-U-C-K. That's that's a tough one to spell. Um, thank you so much. Thank this you. Has been, this has been awesome. Michelle and Danielle, no pre-break quiz answers today, but um, it has been a fun show as always. Hey, um, if you are looking for more great information, you can follow us at dawnoncareers.com. I do a weekly blog or at Dr. Don Graham. You have been listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM. And if you've not read it yet, you do want to get Dr. Jody Foster's book, The Schmuck in My Office, How to Deal Effectively with Difficult People at Work, because there is no doubt in my mind that it will suck you in and you will learn a ton of ways to make your workplace so much happier. So, hey. Thank um, you so much. <laughs> Yeah, thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. Thanks to our listeners and our callers. Always a fun hour. You've been listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM Channel 111. Definitely tune in to catch the replays and the podcasts. Dr. Dawn on Careers on iTunes and Google Play. And we will see you next time. Help in any way.